it took every fiber of my being not to stand up and just scream like, when the fuck is good enough ever going to be good enough? Like, at what point can I rest? At what point can I stop trying to survive? Like, when does this madness end? And that's when I knew that I was going to have to give myself the permission to quit. I'm Holly Whitaker. And I'm Emily McDowell. And this is Quitted. A podcast about quitting. Today's guest is Caleb Campbell. Caleb is here on the show because he trained his entire life to play football. Like, entire life. Like, age four, doing wind sprints with his mom at like five o'clock in the morning. And he is one of the 0.03% of high school athletes who made it to professional sports. And he went to West Point and he was like West Point's first ever cadet recruited into the NFL, which was an extra big deal. And three years into his NFL career, he quit. We recorded this. This is the first interview that Emily and I did together. And we did this on uh, a day that was a really fucking hard day. And I went into this kind of a shell of a human with anxiety raging through my body. And this is not only an extraordinary quitting story. This is also just a man that I think has done some of the serious work of letting go and finding out who he is outside of the things that define him externally. And so for me, this felt like, I don't know, like going to therapy. Mm-hmm. I mean, was it was it like... <laughs> Was it like that for yes. you? <laughs> I, I felt like I came out of it and I was like, oh, that's what matters. That's right. And also that's why we're doing yes. this. And like, this is the kind of conversation that I want to be having. Yeah, right. Like you, I learned so much in this. And so we won't go into it and give a ton away, but um, we're we're really excited to share this. I think that Caleb has a lot to offer. Um, he's somebody that's been through a lot of personal reckonings. Absolutely. Just a reminder that Quitted is a weekly podcast with new episodes dropping every Thursday. And before you forget, maybe pause it right now, subscribe to Quitted on your favorite podcast app, review us, rate us, all this stuff helps out enormously. We are a self-funded podcast. That means that we are not supported by a network. As of now, we're not supported by advertising dollars. And so this is a labor of love that... Emily and I fund uh, with our own money, our own time, and with your help through Patreon. And so if you want to be part of this podcast community and help us out, you can do that by going to patreon.com forward slash quitted. All right, here's Caleb. All right, Caleb Campbell. Caleb Campbell. Thank you so much. For Hi. coming. We're so happy to talk with you. I'm excited to be here. Holly, it's uh, great actually meeting you. And yeah. then Emily, you're one of my favorite people in the world. So oh, I love thank it. Thank you. I'll try not to screw up this interview and keep it that way. <laughs> <laughs> so you're here because you quit a very obvious thing, mm. which is you played in the NFL. And you walked away from that. And that itself is huge. And then it 
also triggered many other quits, which we will <laughs> get into. But let's start with you talking about give, painting a little picture for those of us who are not professional athletes listening to this podcast about what it takes to get to the NFL for a kid and what that kind of means. You know, getting to the NFL, I think it's like 0.03% of high school athletes that actually, you know, play in a high school team will make it into the NFL. And so obviously it took a lot of time and patience and work ethic, you know, but then there's the added bonus of me going to the United States Military Academy at West Point. And if you don't know or not familiar with West Point, when you go to West Point, you're automatically saying yes to a five-year, a minimum five-year commitment as a commissioned officer in the United States Army. I knew, even though I had these dreams of, you know, one day being in the NFL as a young boy, I knew that when I said yes to West Point, I put those dreams away. Like those dreams were long gone because when I graduated West Point, God willing, when I graduated West Point, I knew I'd be an officer in the United States Army. And that would be the next season of my life. But my sophomore year at West Point, I was like the uh, number six strong safety in the entire, uh, you know, all of college football. And so I was very high on the watch list for potential prospects of getting drafted into the NFL mm. by my sophomore year of college. And when that happened, a lot of NFL scouts started to come around. <clears throat> Excuse me, and they asked basically, "What can Caleb do? You know, if he is in the NFL, like if he does get drafted, like is he allowed to go play?" And so, what had happened is the United States Military Academy, in partnership with the DoD, the Pentagon, the Department of Defense, they created this new policy that would allow me to serve and play simultaneously. It was like the Caleb rule. <laughs> there was another baseball player, but. Um, you know, there's a couple other guys on the football team that were getting looked at, but in a lot of ways, yeah. Um, I was probably one of the most potential uh, cadet athletes to make it into a professional sport. And this happened my sophomore year, and so I, I stayed at West Point. I finished out my time at West Point. I ended up getting selected and getting drafted. Um, you know, and I, I'm on this in this moment of, like, my childhood dream, the thing that I've been working for, the thing that I really gave up, you know, I knew when I went to West Point, like I said, that it's not going to happen. But now all of a sudden this dream has reemerged and kind of dropped into my lap. And here I am about to fulfill this childhood dream of playing in the NFL. And then I was literally moments away from signing my first NFL contract when I got a call from the Department of Defense notifying me that that new policy that they created my sophomore year at college in at West Point was rescinded, essentially ripped up, Whoa. rescinded, and was in the process of being revised. So any hopes of me actually living out my childhood dream of playing in the NFL has just been yanked back, and I had to return back to active duty immediately. And so there was now this added <laughs> stipulation of three years of serving in the U.S. military mm -hmm. in the United States Army. And if then I still had the opportunity to go and play, I would then be given the permission to go play and serve simultaneously after serving an active duty for three years at a minimum. So that kind of paints the picture of, you know, not only just the 0.3%, but the added 
uh, curveballs and obstacles to kind of overcome to actually get to the NFL. So I yeah. served for three years, and then that's when I found myself back playing with uh, the Detroit Lions and Kansas City Chiefs. Wow. Wow. So, so 0.0003% or something like that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> something. <laughs> what did football give you? Like, as a kid, what was, like, the role of football for you? Like, how did that how did that play into like who you were developing of, you know, as a person and who you became? Yeah. I love that question because it took me many years of therapy to begin to realize it was never about football. It was always about what football represented to me emotionally. Yeah. You know, and for me, I learned at a very young age that there was a direct correlation with me finding my sense of belonging in life, my acceptance, my validation Mm -hmm. in life with football. The more that I scored touchdowns, the more that I performed well, obviously, right? The more people loved me and accepted me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I talk about it often, but I remember when I was six years old running off the flag football field. This wasn't just any game. This was the (laughs) community-wide city championship game. Oh, well, and you grew up in Texas, right? Yeah. I grew up in Texas. I saw Friday Night Lights. Like, I know how it works. (laughs) Yeah. I was was Riggins, (laughs) for sure. Um, And I remember scoring this game-winning touchdown – And I ran across the field and I jumped into my mom's arms and she was just so just ecstatic. You know, she was celebrating with me and I was just like, did you see, did you see, did you see? And she said, oh my God, son, like, I love you so much. You know, you scored that game winning touchdown. Yeah. Mm. And I know like talking about it, my mom obviously was just celebrating me, but there was something in me. I can still feel it in my bones. There was something in me. And this is like the point of reference that I always go back to if I'm doing any sort of CBT or work with my therapist is that I learned to believe that I'm the most loved when I'm scoring touchdowns. So from an early age, like scoring touchdowns literally or metaphorically became the oxygen in my lungs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. That, that strive to do more, to achieve more, to reach new heights, not just yeah. to meet my expectations, but to surpass my ex- expectations. So football, it wasn't just a game, right? Yeah. This is the way that I survived yeah. in this yeah. world. Yeah. So how old were you when you went to play for the Detroit Lions? So when I got out of the military, I graduated when I was, I think, 20 or 21, served. So I went back when I was probably 25, okay. 26 years old. Okay. And how long were you in the NFL for? I was on and off in the NFL for about three years. And I, it's important. I, I often tell people, like, my time in the league, I was the least self-aware person you've ever met in your life. I haven't done any sort of healing work. I don't know who I am. I'm just holding on to this, this idea that I have to be successful at all costs. I have to continue to surpass expectations because I needed to get that fixed. I needed to not just be loved where I'm at, right? I needed to continue to perform well and up-level my performance so that I can continue to receive love, continue to fuel like this, this never ending IV. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But you, but you quit. So, yeah. or you walked away from it. So I think it's important how, what's take us from it's your, it's how, it's how you survive yeah. to leaving. So I, I knew that there was a coming a, a moment of reckoning in my life. Uh-huh. I remember being back in the NFL and my career is not turning out the way that I expected it to turn out. You know, I be, I played better football in that citywide community championship game than I played (laughs) in the NFL. Um, And so there came a point where I knew that I could not continue to live this way. 
right? Yeah. I wasn't meeting the expectations of my coaches, my peers, you know, and I, I, w- I wanted nothing more but somebody to give me the permission to quit. Mm. And I remember specifically one day I called a list of p- people in my life, hoping to God, telling them that essentially I'm having a hard time. This isn't going to work out. Maybe it's time for me to think about something else. And all I was looking for was somebody to validate like, yeah, Caleb, you should go do something else. Mm-hmm. And I'm telling you time after time after time, I remember that day I got off the phone. And I just wept because nobody gave me the permission to quit. And I remember the last conversation I was with one of my friends and he said the Caleb Campbell that I know never fell. Yeah. Oh. And so there just came a point where I felt so trapped in my life and I felt so stuck and I saw it as like, well, Caleb, if you were better, Caleb, if you had what it takes, right? Because I'm living in this imposter syndrome now. I'm so afraid of being found out that I don't actually have what it takes. I don't believe that I have what it takes. And all the while, I'm this West Point Army football player that has all this shit together, right? I'm Mm -hmm. one of the first players in the history of the school to go into the NFL. So there's all of this pressure. So many expectations, right. So many expectations. And so I felt so trapped and I hated myself for not thinking that I was enough. If you were better, Caleb, if you had what it takes. And so there's this self-hatred story that started, which led to a lot of just substance abuse, sex addiction, uh, drinking drugs, everything just to cope with that pain. And I realized, I remember one day, two things happened. I woke up and looking at my bedside table and knowing with a mixture of pills and, and alcohol on my bedside table from the night before, there's no, like the fact that I'm still alive still. Yeah. It's like, it amazes me and I'm so thankful. And I had this moment of awakening knowing that like, if you don't do something, Caleb, yeah. Like it's only a matter of time. And I remember going to practice that day and I actually had one of the best practices of my NFL career. And I remember thinking after practice, like what we have to do is you go from practice and then you go to a team meeting room and everybody watches film. I used to hate that fucking meeting because it was usually like a watch Caleb fuck up film, right? Yeah, <laughs> it was like, yeah. just watch Caleb just drop the ball time and time again. But this time I had a really good practice. And I was just excited because it wasn't that I needed like a compliment, but I was just excited to be like recognized. And I was excited for somebody else to realize that I do have what it takes to make it in the NFL. Yeah. Long story short, I came up on the big screen. I made this play and I remember the coach calls me out because I had just signed with the Kansas City Chiefs and he calls me out and he says, where's that new kid at? And I, I raised my hand and he just laid into me. And he didn't acknowledge anything good that I did. Oof. He was trying to set like a precedent and be like, you know, right. He was like a, a tough coach, guy. Like, like, yeah. yeah. Here's a new guy. If you want to play under me, you better X, Y, and Z. Yeah. And all I took every fiber of my being not to stand up and just scream like, when the fuck is good enough ever going to be good enough? Yeah. Like, at what point can I rest? At what point can I stop trying to survive? Like, when does this madness end? Mm. And that's when I knew that. I was going to have to give myself the permission to quit. Nobody's going to understand what's going on because they're not here. They don't know my, they're not living in my story like I am. And that's when I realized that was a moment of inflection that it just made me realize that like, if something doesn't change and change soon, it's over. And so you knew, and I think this is so interesting because when I quit drinking, I didn't really think about what was causing me to be so miserable. I just thought it was the drinking, right? And I think Mm -hmm. it's really interesting that you knew 
that it was your life that was like it was yeah. it was what you were doing in your life that was making you so entirely miserable. So in that moment, no, I, yeah, go ahead. No, I just think that's a, a great point because I wanted to blame football. Yeah. Uh-huh. I wanted to demonize football. Yeah. And I think that we naturally have that tendency because it allows us to point the finger outside of ourselves and not take that ultimate personal responsibility that's yeah. needed. Of that's course, a prerequisite yeah. for change, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I definitely wanted to demonize football, but then I just knew, and again, I call this like this is what I would define as grace, because again, I'm the least self-aware person you've ever met, but there was a knowing in me where I had realized that it's not football. Like yeah. I could go on mm-hmm. and get a corporate job and climb myself up to this corner office. And I was just going to continually create this space that mm. is football, just yeah. in a different package yeah. where yeah. good enough will never be good enough. And so that's when I realized something in me needed to be addressed. Something in me needed to change. I think that's such an extraordinary level of for somebody that claims he's the least self-aware person (laughs) and gets such an extraordinary level of awareness to be able to see that you were just on a path like that it it didn't matter and it wasn't even like it wasn't the content it It wasn't wasn't the the external circumstances it was like it was it was what it represented so okay so in that moment you realize it's never enough and what do you do I say, bye. <laughs> I, I got cut for the third time and I called my agent and um, he said, well, there's some other teams that want to bring you in for a practice. And I just said, I can't, man. Like, I'm done. Mm-hmm. I was embarrassed. Mm-hmm. I was humiliated. I was full of shame. I thought that I, it just wasn't enough. I thought that I was a failure. And I also thought that, you know, why I held on, because I knew early on, and I talk about this often, that there were wake-up calls in the NFL where I was having massive panic attacks, debilitating anxiety, mm-hmm. right? The stress yeah. and worry were off of the charts. Like, my nervous system was a fucking train wreck. Yeah, yeah. And so I knew that there were these alarming red flags going off in my life, but walking away meant I was a failure. Walking yeah. away meant that I just didn't have what it takes. So I needed to prove yeah. myself with this willful determination to show the world that I do have what it takes, that I am man enough yeah, yeah, to make it here. And when I did finally walk away, I was just like, just overwhelmed with all of these emotions, feeling like I'm a failure, feeling like I let my parents down, feeling like I let God down because mm-hmm. from, from a little child, like from as early as five, six years old, growing up in the evangelical world of the Texas panhandle Bible belt, you know, like, Football was God's plan for my life. This right, was God's yeah. purpose. Like for my anointed life. by God to yeah. go yes, play 100%. football. Yeah. 100%. So just now walking away from God means like there's this whole other story being abandoned by God, abandoning God's purpose for my life. Yeah. Like I'm just a massive Cool. Good job. Figure. Right. Like, yeah. <laughs> and I remember um, I was, I went home to my aunt's house and I was sleeping in the basement floor or the basement of my aunt's house. And I didn't come up for three or four days, Hmm. just Mm. absolutely gutted. And I was Mm. drinking recklessly. And I remember having this moment of putting down this probably third bottle of wine and laying my head on a pillow. And I was just saying to myself, there's gotta be another way. There's gotta be another way. There's gotta be another way. 
because the way of the way I was doing life, it wasn't working. Like I could not continue down this path of trying to prove myself and reach new levels of success and go farther and go harder and be stronger and do better. I just yeah. couldn't handle it anymore. So I just kept saying there has to be another way. I remember waking up at this time. I was wildly active on Twitter <laughs> and I was going through my Twitter feed and um, I, I, I find a series of tweets that were being retweeted by somebody that I follow that who I didn't even know at that time. And it was strangely enough, these tweets from a church an evangelical non-denominational Christian church in Canada that was essentially describing or explaining that the prerequisite to finding new life to experiencing new life is first a death. Yeah. Mm. And they put words to this metaphorical death. Yeah. What it feels like. And it was the first time in my life where I felt like, holy shit. Like I felt so seen. Yeah. I felt no. Suddenly the chaos of my life made sense. I was like, I'm dying. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like I've outgrown these clothes that I've been wearing, this identity that I've been wearing. I'm, I'm outgrowing it. And the chaos that I feel is this me being stuck between holding on and trying to let go yeah. like one foot in and one foot out and I'm being stretched. Yep. Yeah. And I was like, this is, this makes sense now. Yeah. And there was something in me where this, this deep knowing where I was like, I got to go to this church <laughs> as one does. Uh-huh. I swear to God, like my astrologist, she said to me recently, she goes, Caleb, I just need to like honor. She goes in you. If, if, if finding the truth meant that you had to dive to the bottom of the ocean, you would do it with no hesitation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah, that's definitely like as a Virgo, committed. like yeah. I'm committed to finding truth in yeah. my own experience. Yeah. And so I didn't know that at the time, but it makes sense on why I would literally pack my car with everything that I could pack, box up what I didn't, <laughs> couldn't take with me, leave it at my aunt's or ship it to my dad's. And I drove to Canada. Did they know you were coming? Like, no, did Canada know you were coming? Canada did not know. <laughs> Nobody fucking knew who Caleb was and what I was doing. Also, and I remember wait, one. Sorry, yeah. Caleb. I don't want to interrupt no, you, but I have to say, you just threw out there, like, my astrologer. Just, like, like <laughs> straight up, my like, astrologer. like, a, like. And uh, I just want to honor that because the Los Angeles is still in you. And I'm really happy to see that. Uh, Astrology has been this amazing tool for me to better understand that, like, when my Pluto is sextiling my Jupiter. (laughs) I actually have no idea what that means. But it has made me understand the seasons of my life. Yeah. 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 And that has helped me in terms of, like, really pushing forward or – you know, staying in this season of uh, holding life, life loosely. Yeah. Like it's just, it's just mm-hmm. allowed me to navigate life better. So I have great. an astrologist, so I understand. Yes. <laughs> I only have a psychic, so I don't know. What that is. <gasps> we actually share a psychic. Okay. I love back, back to the story. So you're, so Caleb is on his way to Canada mm-hmm. yes, in I, a car. And I, when, like you don't have, you're not aware of your awareness around this. Do you like, no. right? Like you're not like, under like seeing what's happening you just decide this is what you have to do right it was just something that i have never felt in my life and i understand that now in in a a way that's helped me understand life in general yeah um but there was something in me that like kind of said "Ooh, like i could not ignore yeah 
it wasn't like I was ignoring the knowing that I had to quit football and I could ignore that. And that created a lot of tension, right? That created the suffering in my life, ignoring what I know to be truth, a truth that was so profound and was so subtle. And it was just like this little nudge, but it was, I could not, it would be the ultimate act of self-betrayal for me not to say yes to that. Yeah. And so I just knew that I had to go and I walked into this damn church and I meet the pastor right off the bat and he's like, how can I help you? <laughs> Let me tell you a story. I'm <laughs> <Them> on Twitter. <laughs> and I, 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 I kind of said like, you don't know me. I don't know you. I came across a series of tweets Something went off inside of me. I need to be here. Can you help me? My life is a fucking mess. It's a train wreck. Like something is missing and I can't continue to climb this trajectory of success and to satisfy it. Like I can't satisfy this deep inner ache and it's wreaking chaos in my life. And he's like, we can help you. And so I went from playing in the NFL literally weeks later to sleeping on the basement floor of a boiler room at a church Mm. in Canada. And I became the janitor of a church so that I could essentially get therapy. I mean, there's also just a beautiful metaphor to that, like that you were in the basement of a church and that you were cleaning it. And I mean, right? Like it's just like going down into the, you know, like young in, like going down into the inner depths of yourself and picking up a mop. I don't know. Being hidden. All of my friends, everyone (laughs) thought, you know, I I joined a cult. They thought I fall off the deep end. And I, I think this is part of the healing journey that is, or part of the journey of just saying yes you know, to whatever it is that you know you need to say yes to and walking mm-hmm. away or quitting those things that you know no longer serve yeah. you, which takes the utmost courage. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? It takes the utmost courage. And, you know, it's like Mary Oliver's, uh, you know, the journey. One day you finally knew. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You had to follow that voice. And then the people around you started to tug at your ankles and say, mend my life, mend my life, mend my life. Yeah. But you know that you had to continue this path on your own. And I think what's hard, but it's such a beautiful season of life that I honor so much in my own life and I honor it in other people's is on the other side of walking away and quitting when you're able to not try to figure things out or not try to like, you know, go on to the next thing immediately, but you're able to hold that tension of the in-between that liminal space when you get it, when you're able to really hold it as aware or as consciously as you can, you really learn how to belong to yourself. Yeah. You learn how to take back your power. And why is that? Because you learn to realize this, you're the only voice that matters. You learn to realize just how often it was the expectations that you, maybe your parents placed on you or your society placed on you, the cultural norms. You started to realize that everything that you were doing was never for you, is what you were told you were supposed to do. It's what was expected of you based on your race or your religion or your gender roles or your identities, right? And so suddenly you start to recognize, like, what is my heart saying? What is my voice saying? What is it that I want to do with my one true life? And you own that. And the hard part is, is that you realize not everybody's going to understand. No. and Not everybody's going to see why you're saying yes. And it's not because this is the thing. It doesn't make fucking logical sense. Yeah. The most logical thing for me to do was to go and connect with another West Point graduate that was a VP of a Fortune 500 company and take that sales role that would land me six figures within six months, right? Because that's a successful thing to do and that's what people expect of me, right? But it was my willingness to honor that voice and to learn how to stand alone. You know, because I know you and I know a bit of your story that you also were raised 
Christian. Mm-hmm. And you went to this, it was an evangelical church, right? Mm-hmm. How did your relationship to the church end up changing? Because I, you know, quitting the NFL was the first quit. Yeah. And then it was sort of like a domino effect of some other quits. Yes. Uh, I love that you asked me that. I remember I was, I was uh, living in Los Angeles and I was driving down, was it the 10 that goes outside of the city? <laughs> and I remember at this one point reading a sign that said, Jesus is the way. Oh yeah, it's the 10. I know that billboard. It's the 10, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. You know that sign? Yeah. <laughs> and I was, it was the first time in my life where I was like, because I've seen that my entire life. I've heard that my entire life. I was indoctrinated with that. like that. And my whole mission was to get everybody else to see that. Uh-huh. And I remember having this moment where just up out of my heart, the words came out of my mouth. I was in the car by myself and I said, is he? <laughs> <laughs> and I just remember driving being like, holy shit. Like that is like the greatest sin ever. I just question <gasps> truth of all truth. Like, I wait know. a minute. And I say that because it obviously it didn't start there. When I went back to the church, I think the church was this beautiful community where I had nothing to prove. When I went to this church in Canada, it was this beautiful experience of me finding a group of people who didn't give a fuck about my football, who didn't know anything about me, didn't mm-hmm. expect anything of me. They And I, I, I was able to, in this moment, in this church, and this is why community is so important when it comes to healing, which is often necessary after quitting something. Yeah. That I was allowing myself to be seen. I was allowing myself to like just giving myself the space and the permission to start shedding these identities, right? Yeah. And allowing myself to be seen. And so it was this beautiful community where they saw me and I started to experience the breakthrough comes that comes when you allow yourself to be seen. And I started to taste healing, right? I started to really taste healing and I wanted it and I wanted more of it and I wanted that at whatever cost. Right, And so the church was this beautiful space that introduced me to tasting my own truth, to reconnecting with my own knowing mm-hmm. that's been there. It's just been covered in mounds of pain and layered beneath mounds of self-betrayal and yeah. pain and trauma. And I started to heal and I started to get reacquainted with this. And that's when our paths kind of collided, where I was kind of like, you as a church, you all you did this job at helping me. You did yeah. it in such a beautiful way at helping me reconnect with my truth. Yeah. Then I found myself five years later because I, at first I was at this place where I was like, I am committed to this church for the rest of my life. Like anybody who yeah. walks through those doors and they need transformation and they need help. I'm here for them because this has changed my life. Like I'm living on cloud nine Yeah. as I'm also washing toilet seats, scrubbing toilet seats and, sweeping floors and working as a janitor. And I've never felt so free. I've never felt so happy. And I'm like, this is it. Like, I I found like what I was looking for in that season. But then I'm sitting at the back of the church and I realized that as like, as, as I knew that it was time to go to Canada, I knew in this moment on a Wednesday night service, sitting at the back of that church, that I was like, it's time to go. Yeah. And I told the people the church, that it was time to go. This God that you reconnect with me to, because I, I would define this knowing as the God in me, the infinite in yeah. me, the divine, yeah. the sacred in mm-hmm. me. 
it was this thing that they re- helped me reconnect to. And now it's asking me to walk away from this church. And now suddenly you have a problem with this. Yeah. And so there was this moment where I realized that like, okay, it's time to quit. It's time to quit this church. It's time to quit this experience. And there was also this reality that this God that I was learning about, it, it, it felt too small. Mm-hmm. Like I love is infinite. Love is always offering us invitations. Like God is infinite. This universe is infinite, right? Abundance is infinite. We can never exhaust it. And as I continued to heal, I started to experience deeper experiences, profound experiences of love. And I felt like in so many ways, and I'll say this from an like arrogant place in any way, like hear my heart when I say this, but like I outgrew the church. Yeah. Like I yeah. wasn't being fed there. Your demonstration and your definition of love and the way it was being taught, it's not, it's just bouncing off of me. Like there's a deeper, more expansive, more inclusive, more rich experience of love and I've tasted it. And if there's one thing that I knew at that point was I can never say no to what love and to where love was leading me. David White, who's easily my favorite poet, you know, he says, I have found that life is this circular experience of making a home for myself, this house of belonging. Mm-hmm. And then at one point, there's a knock on the door and it's time for me and I'm being beckoned out. I'm, it's time for me to go. It's time for me to leave this house of belonging. Yeah. And life is this, from what yeah. I am experiencing, that it's just this constant, it's this constant experience of like making a home for yourself, finding and experiencing love. And then love is going to come knocking on your door and it's going to ask you, you know, to either literally walk out of your door and venture out into the unchartered pastures in front of you, into that territory in front of you, right? And to live in that in-between space, maybe that's physical or it's metaphorical, but life I think is constantly asking us and knocking on a store and it's inviting us. It's inviting. It's never going to tell us love doesn't do that, but it's inviting us into deeper, expansive, more rich experiences of love. And when we meet that love head on, we're transformed from the inside out. It revolutionizes our life because it's the moments of great change. You know, I call it a divine ambush. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's when life. Divine <laughs> sledgehammer. Yeah. Man, that is the invitation though. Right. It's the invitation the to say yes. That's right. But it's the like, invitation to say yes. Doesn't that like sound fucking exhausting though? Like, I mean. I just want to make a home and stay there. I mean, I, I understand what you're saying. I'm just kind of playing devil's yeah. advocate. But, like, when totally. you're saying that, I understand it. And also, I'm just like, but I just want to stay, you know? I just and moved all thing. my stuff in here. <laughs> I just <laughs> painted, you know? And I hung the stuff up on the walls. And <gasps> But here's the thing. You can stay. And your life can be beautiful. Yeah. There's nothing that you can do. There's nothing that you can say. That will ever make love love you more or vice versa make love love you less like you were fully loved as much as you possibly could ever be loved right here our journey i feel like in this life is just simply opening up and learning how to receive it and the way that i've experienced in my own life is oftentimes it's in the moments of great crisis or the moments of great change that i make space that's crowding my space from actually receiving deeper measures of that love being poured into my own life. And so there's nothing that you have to do. Like you don't have to make a moment, another, like this is the toxic positivity and the spiritual capitalism that we live with in the Western culture, right? There's nothing that you have to do. 
you can stay exactly where you are and still have a beautiful life and receive everything that you've ever and experience anything you everything you've ever wanted it's just you you don't i i want to encourage anybody to listen to it when you know here yeah you know here and he's pointing to his heart something Mm -hmm. yeah pointing to my heart like it's like just honor it just say yes to it because i think that's that is providing us what we're actually looking for. Yeah. And that's going back to like, it was never about football. Yeah. Right. And I've now been able to go on this journey of rediscovering what I was looking for in football, rediscovering what I was looking for at the end, uh, the bottom of a bottle or in the bedroom after a late night escapade of sex. Right. Like, I suddenly realized that what I'm looking for, it is in me, it's just been forfeited or it's been buried. Yeah. And now the journey is reconnecting to that. Yeah. I have a question. Our culture loves the idea of a quit, quitting on the way to another success. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, like quitting's okay. Quitting's if okay if you quit it. in order to <laughs> do something bigger mm-hmm. or like, be better or like some weird optimized version of yourself like that's and and when holly and i were conceiving of this show we really wanted to make sure that that wasn't like to be clear like this is not what we're talking about yeah and can i yeah can i add one thing to that too because i think it's also it's that and then it's also we also don't talk about quitting typically until we're on the other side of it and we can say oh and 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 kind of like how you've been talking, right? It does sound like this was this really this really catapulted you into like self awareness. You got like we can talk about it now because you're on the other side of it, right? And so like sometimes mm-hmm. it's it's not just it's on the way too, but it's also you don't even talk about it until you're on the other side because you have something yeah. to show for yeah. all of it. It sucked and I did the hard thing and I lost everything, but now I'm okay. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And for if sure. you follow my four step method, yeah. you too can have a seven figure business. <laughs> Well, and you, Caleb, you said something earlier when we were talking before this podcast about how shame and grief had masqueraded as motivation mm-hmm. for you. And I want to talk about what your life looks like now mm-hmm. and what you like, how you live now and what you're doing and like where all of this self-awareness has taken you in terms of your relationship with yourself and your relationship with having an identity and like quote unquote success and like all of this stuff. Mm. There is no doubt in my mind that when I moved to Canada, my performance, my healing became the new football. Mm-hmm. And so it became this performance-driven approach to healing mm. so that I can heal enough so that then I'm qualified yes. to experience this bigness of mm-hmm. life. Yes. And there's no question about it that that is where I was all through Canada. There was still like my life is not the way that I think or expect it should be or what I want because there is something, some belief system, some trauma stored in my fucking body. I need to go excavate it. I need to figure it out. I need to heal so that I can begin to build the correct belief systems and create that new homeostasis. And 
create that seven figure brand that I'm so trying <laughs> to fucking create, right? Yeah. So it's like healings is a means to an end, like a, a better end. end. Yeah. It, it's it's we turn our healing into performance to create a bigger and better life, all the while Ugh. undermining uh. the beautiful journey of healing, and that is that life here and now is fucking beautiful. It's everything that you've ever been looking for is here and now. Mm-hmm. The challenge with me because shame masqueraded as motivation. What does shame do? Shame always reduces us into believing that it's not enough or I'm not enough, we're not enough. And so I was carrying so much shame and using it as my motivation to, to heal in life. I could never accept the present moment because in accepting the present moment, I was confronting the shame. I was confronting that it's never, it's not enough. Why would I ever want to accept that it's not enough? <laughs> Yeah. Right? It seems like it's the, it's the paradox, right? It's kind of like that doesn't make sense. So I would always try to perform my way into greater measures of healing so I can now finally be enough. But it was never yeah. fucking enough mm-hmm. because so. shame was reduced or shame was the performance, the motivator that fueled my performance. And my, my healing was reduced again to performance. When I got yeah. to Los Angeles, I was sitting under a tree in Santa Monica. Um, looking out on the ocean. As one does. And, as one does. <laughs> thinking about life. I was rollerblading on the beach. <laughs> <laughs> just Drinking a smoothie. My astrologist. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, I was just sitting there and I honestly had this epiphany that I, I was so, when I started out on this journey, that my healing journey was going to take me to this bigger and better life. And what yes. I realized is that my healing journey was systematically inviting me into deeper levels. I call it holy frustration. And it's the dance between willfulness and willingness. It's the dance between trying to willfully make my life happen to the willingness to let go of needing to figure it out. Mm-hmm. And this, I was back and forth oscillating between these two things. And I tried so many times when I was in L.A., to make my life happen, to create this brand. And I would frantically try to figure things out. So I would start a podcast. I've had like five fucking different podcasts. <laughs> it's embarrassing. Um, but I would try to figure out my life, start a course. No, that's not it. This book proposal. No, that's not it. Everything, never sticking to something, just trying to find my thing so that I can build this life. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. And it wouldn't work. And then I would hit these moments of holy frustration And I would just give up. I would let go trying to figure it out. I didn't know how sacred those moments actually were until looking back later on in my life and realizing that this healing journey isn't about building a bigger and better life. It's the maybe the byproduct of it, and that's beautiful. But I think what we're all looking for, what we're looking for is the freedom of letting go of our lives. Yeah. And so there was this Mm -hmm. moment where I realized in California that like, there was these, this, this upward ascent of trying to figure my life out, it not happening, letting go and falling. Upward ascent, figuring my life out, not happening, letting go and following. And each letting go, right, there was this acceptance of who I am, where I am that was happening. Yeah, like it's just enough. I mean, I just like I just started you're, I, like you're taking me to church. I just like started a newsletter and because I need to write like that's why I did it <laughs> and I need to make money but I started a newsletter because I I wanted to and yeah. as soon as I did it I started to build these stories on what it has to become what mm-hmm. wisdom I have to have like how I have to like show up for it like what I have to turn it into and then on the other side I'm thinking 
oh fuck, this is just creating a whole other way to like <laughs> like build myself up or to make this like to make another monster. And so it's in, you know what I mean? Like it's in between those two things. And as you're saying this, I'm sitting here and I'm thinking, I just like I I was thinking about that today. Like it doesn't have to become anything. Okay. I can just send a stupid fucking newsletter every week because I like it. Like it doesn't mm-hmm. have to like meet this greater end. I could just enjoy writing a thing. But what you're saying here that's like I find kind of like brain popping is that like we we put this tr- we lay this trip on ourselves. That's like consumerism and capitalism, yes. right? Of like, yes. I it has to Spiritual have a capitalism. theme. It has Spiritual to make capitalism. sense. It has yes. to like move the needle. And yes. it doesn't. Like we're actually just creators that are supposed to show up and just fucking create. And like not like try and mold this like thing that will like be seen as a thing that has value. Is that yes. right? Does that feel Absolutely. like what you're... No. Okay. I vibe with you. And can I just say, you, you can't see this right now, but my, on my iPad, uh-huh. I have a folder called Articles That I Love. And I have your first newsletter that you just, being all of it, that you just uh. sent out. And it is marked up and highlighted. Oh, my God. <laughs> Stop it. Yeah, Thank I keep you. all articles that I come across that but like see, really speak And I heart. thought that was trash. Do you know what I mean? No. Like, I, I didn't think it was trash. I thought it was good writing, right? But I was yeah. just like, what is the point of this anyways? I'm just complaining about being complex, you know? And like, yeah. who's this serving? And I'm de- I'm departing from who I'm supposed to be. And like, all of the trips that we lay on that. Mm-hmm. And like, without, like, and when I receive something from somebody, I don't care what they're I don't need to know what their position is or how they sum themselves up or what the point of their work is. Like, And I'm not judging them on those things either. You know, like, no. But we do that to ourselves. Mm -hmm. We do that to ourselves. So it's just like... That, that what you just said about like that that whole thing about like how beautiful the process was of just starting yeah. five podcasts and letting it go and like how that is our life our life is just starting and letting yeah. go and anyway it's the death and rebirth just the, the the ad like it is it's spiritual like capitalism and it sells in America right it's this it's a way to like build your life in a way that's socially acceptable, right? Because I'm enlightened. I'm He's spiritual. air quoting. He's, yes. I'm, yes, I'm air quoting. Um, and so, <laughs> and it's just a matter of what do you want? For me, I was, I, and this is why love is so powerful and love is so beautiful. Like it knew what I wanted, even when I didn't know what I wanted. For me, what I want to find is, I think at some point, I wanted to be able to give my life. And it's just kind of like, just bear with me. I'm still trying to find the right words. And I think part of my life work is putting words to this. I wanted to get my life to a point where I could just give it over to something bigger than myself mm-hmm. so that I could rest. Mm. I feel right? that. And so yeah. there was this, for me, I thought that would come by doing more, achieving more, creating this bigger mm-hmm. life, this spiritual capitalism, this right. building a brand, right? Mm-hmm. Creating more, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And then I started to realize that, it just it doesn't work like that. And what I was actually looking for comes by letting go and radically accepting my life and who I am, where I am. Mm-hmm. It's the ultimate freedom mm-hmm. that I've experienced in my life. It's that if my life never changes from this moment forward, I'm genuinely okay. I'm good. And I knew for the longest time I was afraid to radically accept my life because I thought that meant that my life would never change. Yeah. But what I've realized yeah. is that in the process of accepting your life, which takes great work, 
because you're giving up expectations. You're letting go of all of the where you think you should be and where other people think you should be and where they expect you to be and so on and so forth. And that what I've realized through the process of giving up, as David White would say, giving up all those other worlds except the one which you belong to here and now, you actually systematically remove the fears of your life never changing. And when you remove the fear of your life never changing, your life inevitably changes. But your life changes not from a willful attempt to make it happen. Your life changes and moves forward because you are now co-creating and manifesting with the universe. Yeah. Mm. It's a wildly different approach to moving your life forward. Yeah. And so paradoxical, right? So it's paradoxical. so the it's way so up opposite. Is the way down. Yeah, it's yes. so opposite of what we're taught to. Yeah. Like it's just and that's what I don't know. I mean, it makes it sweet and makes it hard. Yeah. And this is I think the road that you know, and so I to bring it full circle to what my life looks like, Emily, I didn't want my wife and I, Kara, um she said, you know, at the end of last year, like we we need to leave Los Angeles two years ago, and I'm like fuck no, you know because I moved to Los Angeles like this is the city of dreamers and doers and like anything possible is here and I moved there with this intention that my life's going to look like a certain way when I leave there like it's yeah. going to expand in a big way that the world can see, <laughs> right? not just my heart expansion that I know that's real. And so I, I, I was so adamant against leaving Los Angeles because I thought that it meant that I failed. Yeah. And I was still holding on to my life looking a certain way. But I realized I had a moment just of realizing kind of like, like I've never been in my life. I've always been constantly trying to figure it out and to create this life that I expect I should look, that I expect it should look yeah. like and what other people expect it to look like. And I've done it yes. at the expense of being, of being there. here now. Yeah, yeah. Allowing yeah. this and the fullness and to recognize that everything around me, the, the relationships and the, you know, the people and just the work that I do, everything around me, it's enough and it's beautiful. It's and, enough. I, and I can now create change in a different way. It's not this like, you know, willful attempt to change things because that's yeah. fucking exhausting and that's the recipe for burnout. And so I said yes to leaving LA and I remember right behind me, I was, I got to Nashville and I laid down about two months in, I laid down and I started to do yoga and I was doing a breathing exercise before yoga. And I felt so supported by the ground. I felt so supported by, there was something outside of me holding my life together. And I was like, so deeply acquainted with this, like just this experience that I was having. And it was the first time in my life, y'all, that I would say that I was laying there and I just started to cry because I was like, there is no other place that I want to be mm-hmm. other than right here, mm-hmm. right now. And, and that like, was so real. How few, like, and the thing that's crazy about that is like, you can, you remember that as an exceptional experience, right? Mm-hmm. Like that is Absolutely. exceptional to yeah. like yes. be happy with where we are and what we have right now in the moment yep and you were not scoring a touchdown and you were not you Mm -hmm. know depositing a million dollar check no you weren't on a stage you were just lying down in life yeah on a regular day yeah and so i just think um i've always wanted to give my life over to something but of course that's scary right because am i going to be held Mm -hmm. yeah 
And I think we have had past experiences where we have been proven that we're not held and we've been f- screwed. We've been hurt. We've been betrayed. We've been lied to. Yep. I know looking back in my own life real quick, like, do we have time? Can I tell you like a quick story? Yes. Yeah. Um, we have plenty of Charles, time. Oh, is it Mor- Morris Berman? Or I think his name is Morris Berman or Berman Morris. He wrote a book called Coming to Our Senses. Mm-hmm. And in this book, he explains this concept of a kinesthetic knowing. Mm-hmm. Mm. And it's the original knowing that we experience as humans. And it's not experienced by being seen or heard or tasted. It's an experience that we feel. And it traces back to in the womb to our first breath. And it's a feeling that we feel in its clocked biologically in our bodies our bodies remember a feeling of being held Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. there is something outside of us that is holding all of this together and our only journey is to learn how to rest in that Mm -hmm. and he talks about in this book by the age of three or four something happens where we are disconnected we learn to label things we learn to judge things we experience shame And when we are disconnected from that knowing, right, we go from safety, there's something in us that we biologically know. And I know that for some people that was never your experience, maybe you were abandoned, right? But being carried in the womb, there was still something holding you. And it's something that is experienced in the body. Our body remembers this. Yeah. And I can say in my own life that what I was looking, what I have been trying to reconnect with through the pursuit of success is that original knowing that there is something outside of my ability to hold and to will my life together. There is something holding this all together. And I, I argue in my kind of philosophy of life or the way that I see life is that everyone's trying to reconnect with their original knowing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we try to reconnect with it through these endless pursuits of whatever it might be, whether it's sex or booze or drugs or success Mm-hmm. Right, we're trying to reconnect, or we don't even put ourselves out there, and we're afraid of the vulnerability of never finding it. So we just live this mediocre life, and we play small. Yeah, right. We really play small, and we don't put ourselves out there. Yeah, because we're afraid that we will go searching, and we won't find what we're looking for. Yeah. But I kind of realized in my life that this healing journey—it's brought me on this journey. So my football experience was this climb up this ladder of success to find. When good enough is finally good enough and I can find this experience yeah. of success. Yeah. And I can give myself over to it. Yeah. And I can just rest in life and I can be safe in my life. I don't have to fight. I don't have to survive. I don't have to figure things out. I can just be. Yeah. And it's good. And then that doesn't happen. So I go on this journey of healing and I turn my healing into another football and a performance as we discussed. But then I realized that to answer your question, like as I grieved all of the ways that I thought my life should look like when I left Los Angeles and I thought that I was a failure and that brought me to this moment. Like the way that I got to this moment was grieving all of the ways I thought my life should have changed, but never did grieving all of the unmet expectations and the unfulfilled dreams. Mm-hmm. I have an author behind me that I sit there and I literally like write them out and then I release them to the universe and I burn them into ash. And I have these rituals where I'm systematically letting go of the expectations Mm -hmm. of where I thought I would be and who I think I should be. And I'm just learning how to accept who I am, where I am. Yeah. As I've learned to let go of all other worlds and learn how to be here now, 
there's this physiological shift that happens inside of us. It's a tangible experience. I, I feel like, and I, I said this on our, our call earlier, that where I'm at in life now is I'm no longer in survival. I tangibly wake up and I feel, and I, and I dance between the two, but my first feeling is the connection to this original knowing. That there is something outside of my life <laughs> holding all of this together. The way that I move life forward in a healthy way is resting in that trust. Not needing to figure it out, not needing to willfully move it forward and to hustle harder and to X, Y, and Z, right? And this is my path of life now is dancing between the two because naturally I'm human and I fuck things up. And I'll get this urge to like, like uh-huh. got to make money or got to figure this thing out. Like, you know, and I'll feel that anxious energy. And then my only job is to recognize and recenter, and I come back, and I rest in the knowing, the original knowing. And in this original knowing, I'm operating not from survival mode. I'm operating from this place of safety, and love mm-hmm. is a fuel. So now mm-hmm. I'm not trying to figure my life out and frantically search, yeah. endlessly search. It's just now, what do I desire? Yeah. Where mm-hmm. do I find the most fun? Where do I feel the most passionate? Where, what does play look like? I follow play. Yeah. Yeah. My life as a four on the Enneagram play is a foreign fucking concept. Yeah. <laughs> right. But now it's just I'm like, a so three my wing wife, four. Hi. Yes, you are. You. <laughs> four wing three over here. I'm a yeah. four. I'm a four. <laughs> wow. I don't know what my wing is, but, but play is I, absolutely a foreign concept. Yeah. It was a foreign concept when I was seven. Like I right. don't, I didn't play. I, I started <laughs> working when I was seven in my family business. Yes. We don't do that. I've spent years trying to push the river of my life forward. Yeah. But on the other side of giving up all of the worlds and laying here and accepting who I am, where I am, I suddenly realize that the river of my life is already flowing. I just got to rest in it. And that's when it carries you. Yeah. So I'm still learning what moving my life looks like from this place of rest. But that's where I'm at now. And I'm dancing between jumping into this anxious energy of figuring it out and coming back yeah. to this rest. Yeah. Um, and I think I'm just doing my best to stay intentional and aware of just moving my life forward in that more aligned place yeah. of rest. Because, I mean, if you think about this, like I think this is where the ultimate confidence is birth. This is where hope is birth. Like when you can know that your life is rest. And it's, it's so counterintuitive because to think like, well, we just, you just sit there and rest. You just... Yes. You just chill and yes. you just move with it. Like I haven't, yes. I haven't worked for almost a year now and it's not been easy. Um, yes. Especially <laughs> with three. Hell. <laughs> but I also really want to believe in this concept that I can, and I, I haven't started, you know, quote unquote building because I want to figure out, I don't want to do it. In a way that is not going to incorporate this sense of ease. And Mm. it feels, I have felt so guilty in it, right? Like I am breaking some kind of social contract or I'm lazy or sloth-like or, or, or what, I mean, whatever, or just wasting time. And I'm Uh going to look back on this and be like, you could have been producing, you know, or like whatever. It feels so wasteful. And at the same time... I actually, I believe in what you were just saying. It's just like all the evidence around us, or at least all the messaging that we get says, no, 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 no. you got to hustle. You got to work. It it doesn't just come to you, you know? Productivity. Like your value is measured by productivity. Productivity. So. So normal. So like when you think about like, 
those thought processes that come up where it's like, no, I need to create. No, I need to figure out, like, what's the emotional response? Well, hold on. I'm going to readjust myself. I'm going to get a, in a more restful position. Um, <laughs> I What's the response? So when I feel like I am... Oh, it's just like, like, it's just, it's the, it's the same me that's worked my whole life. You know what I mean? Like, which is like, and it's, it's like what I judge other people for. Like, you know, like, like work harder, work better, be more productive, get your shit together. Like, it's just that, like, it's that, that part in me that starts to spiral and, and feel like, I don't even know, like the bottom drops off and I'm fucking up. And, and I, and like get my shit together. That's it. And like, I'm going to pay for it. That's what it feels like. Mm. I'm going to pay for it. And what do I have to show a lot of TV was watched. That's it. <laughs> I get it. And here's the, what like people do misinterpret because of what you just explained. This idea of incorporating and embodying rest in your life does not promote laziness. It does not promote, it does not mean that you don't work hard. It does not mean that you don't like put yourself out there and that you go to fucking work. It doesn't mean that it's the energy attached to the intention behind why you do what you do. Yeah. Because Mm -hmm. that is what determines the fulfillment on the other side of that success. Right. Not not the frenetic. Yes. Mm -hmm. So it's not about like rest is this disposition, this energetic disposition that we have towards life. Now it's the relationship with life. It's, I'm going to work. I'm going to make myself calls. I'm going to put myself out there. I'm going to write the fucking blog post and all this shit that I feel aligned to. Yeah. But it's first and foremost, it's, am I doing it because it's what I'm expected? It's what society says I'm supposed to do? Or do I actually feel- Want to do this. Mm-hmm. Do That's I want right. to do this? And if it's That's not right. a hell yes, then fuck that. That's I don't right. care That's what right. people are saying. Like honor your truth yeah. and say no to that and trust that, mm-hmm. you know what? Mm-hmm. The greatest thing that you can do, the greatest investment that you can make is honoring your truth. Because every time you don't honor your truth, you're living in a self-betrayal and you're disconnecting yourself from yourself. The original knowing that this whole journey is all about reconnecting to because that's where the magic is. And so it's not about not doing anything, right? It's just the energy attached behind why you're doing what you're doing because that's going to determine the level of fulfillment or the satisfaction or the overall experience that we have on the other side of our success. But I do want to say I had to do nothing. I had to not like I, I had to because I worked myself over so hard and burnt myself out. I actually had to take an extended period where I didn't produce I it. anything, and that yeah. felt death. You know, <laughs> death, like total death. Um and despair. But I understand exactly what you're saying, which is like when I, I didn't start writing again until I felt like it was coming not f- like it, like it didn't feel like I was scraping the wall of my insides or like or or violating myself. It came from yeah. when I was ready to do it and I wanted to do it and I had fun doing it and it felt good when I did it. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. So I think one of the things that I really wanted to hear you talk about was God's waiting room, because I don't think we touched on in all of this, yeah. what, what I've experienced this last year since leaving the company I founded and having nothing to go to mm. and being in that, and it's fucking horrible. Like, I don't want to pretend like it's great. Like I have found it to be terrible, but that space in between when yeah. something you counted on happening, your expectation, your dream, whatever it is, dies. And then 
what happens after and how you navigate it. Because I have found this space to be, it's been the worst year of my life. And I've had a lot mm-hmm. of really bad years. And so that's saying something. So can you talk a little bit about the importance of like, whatever, Dante's Woods or... <laughs> is it Dante's wood? I think you're. Mi- I think you're mixing. Making your my metaphor. metaphor. <laughs> hmm. <laughs> oh no, Dante's Inferno. Right, yeah. but he's in a wood. Commentary. He is. He, okay. Yeah. He says on the uh, in, on in the path of my life, I awoke in a dark wood, and I found myself to be wholly lost. I found the way to be wholly lost. When I first heard that, I wasn't reading it. I heard it, and I thought, "Holy!" I was like, "Wait, holy lost." And it really resonated with me because I find that being lost is sacred. It is. It's very holy. And so I thought it was H-O-L-Y, but it was Mm W-H-O-L-L-Y. But it still like hit my heart really hard. It pierced my heart where I was like, yeah, being lost is holy. Mm -hmm. And that is, I feel like, the definition of liminal space, the space in between. And so oftentimes we hold on, right, when we know we should quit, when we know we should let go. Or when there's this divine ambush in our lives and we experience this massive disruption and life doesn't unroll, unravel the way you expected or there was a death or the loss of a loved one or the loss of a reputation. For I think everyone around the universe, there was COVID. It was this massive disruption. It was this divine ambush in every single one of our lives that I think in so many ways and I'm not trying to undermine the severity and the pain and the death, the literal death that we've experienced and people have experienced in any way. But when we walk away, we enter into liminal space, right? But liminal space is what some would call God's waiting room. It is this beautiful, sacred space. Um, Ancient mystics would call it uh, crazy time, because mm-hmm. it actually feels like you're going fucking crazy. I would also mm. call it that. I would call it that as well. <laughs> for sure. It, feels like, and it us. feels like you're moving backwards in life. That's right. Yeah. Like, oh, what's so regressive. Is, what's that? So regressive. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. But it, it, it's not. It, it feels that way, but it's not. Why does so it feel that way? Because what's happening is, is liminal space comes from the Greek word lemon, lemon, L-I-M-E-N, which actually means it would be the threshold on the bottom of a doorway. As you're crossing through a new threshold, you are walking through new doors. Yeah. Oh, I but never the knew room, that. the room behind you and the furniture that you've arranged and that so neatly propped up your life, suddenly now is no longer what's supporting you. Mm-hmm. The thoughts, the emotions, the jobs, the relationships is suddenly life as you once knew it has completely been turned upside down, which a lot of people realize turned right side up. Mm-hmm. When you walk into this new room, there's new furniture that you have to get acquainted to. You have to get organized. You have to see like there's new things being birthed inside of you. And so what we have to learn how to do and something that I'm still learning is how to hold that liminal space, that in-between space more intentionally and more consciously, yeah. more aware, right? Because oftentimes when we're in that season of no man's or in liminal space, no man's land, um, when we're in that season of liminal space, we oftentimes cling to where we can find certainty. So we cling to our vices. We find Whenever I was thrusted into liminal space, what's the one thing that I do? I get in a fucking relationship. 
before I met Kara. I always um, would get in a relationship because that relationship, and I'd always distract find, you, right? Like makes it distract me, but it would give me a false sense of security. If I can mm-hmm. control her, I can control my life. Mm-hmm. I was kind of a toxic boyfriend at one time, <laughs> <laughs> and so mm-hmm. that was just like my experience, where mm-hmm. I would just jump in and I would try to create this illusion of certainty and security because my life in every other way was falling apart. Yeah. And so what happens is we learn how to just hold this space. And so what I feel like the great teacher of liminal space is, is not to escape the heaviness of your life. Is to learn how to trust the heaviness. Barbara Brown Taylor has a beautiful quote. This, I, when I learn how to sit in the darkness for as long as it takes, when I was willing mm-hmm. to sit in the darkness for as long as it takes, I see the light. And so liminal space is this space of really giving up the willful attempts of figuring your life out or the willful attempts of making your life happen and being willing to rest your, wrestle your heart into this posture of if it never changes, it's okay. Like yeah. I'm, I'm wrestling. If I never find what I'm looking for, I'm okay. And like yeah. that's where these deeper mm. senses of fulfillment and purpose are actually birthed that actually catapult us into this new season of whatever is next for us in your life or in our lives. And it's so hard because you, when you are in that dark space, it means you can't see a future. It means you don't understand your purpose. You lose meaning. Like it is, it really is just dark. And I think it's so hard then. And you're like, the thing that I found so hard about it is like, I'm supposed to be okay with this. Like I'm supposed to be okay with having no reason to exist. I'm supposed to be okay with having no reason to get out of bed or wash my hair or, you know, like I go to dinner parties and people are like, what do you do? And I'm like, nothing, but I have watched (laughs) Yellowstone twice. It's a damn good show. (laughs) It's really good, but no one needs to watch that twice, you know? And so it's just, it is really hard when you're in that to appreciate that space because you're just like, what if this never ends? And what if this is it? And how do you make peace with something that feels so fucked up? Yeah. 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 And so this is what's happening is, and I, from the way that I see it, so I, I, obviously, if you hear me speak, like I talk very kind of spiritual and out there, but it's also the practicality of what's happening. The beautiful thing about liminal space is you're learning how to create safety in your system. Mm -hmm. So when you are in this place of despair, Mm -hmm. when you're in this place of hopelessness, your only job is not to figure out your life. Your job is to get your system regulated Mm -hmm. and recentered. That's That's the work of liminal space because what you're doing is you, again, are increasing your capacity because here's the deal. The level of life that you're going to, what's next, and it's not that it's bigger or better, but it's going to be a more profound, deeper, more rich experience, deeper relationships, which inevitably means more vulnerability. Right. You're preparing your system to step into what's next. Love is infinitely supporting you into reaching and helping you experience the fullness of life. Yeah. It's always giving us an invitation to experience it. Our job in liminal space is to recenter that system and to regulate that system so that it's actually prepared to receive the fullness that's coming. Mm. That's the magical, that's the sacredness of liminal Mm. space. One of my friends, when I was telling her about something, she said, "Um, fuck purpose. This is Mm -hmm. your fucking purpose. And it was just one of those things that like, right, like this is your purpose right now. Like you're, Mm -hmm. that we're so convinced that we're supposed to have a purpose and we're supposed to like, like we don't mean, like our life means nothing if we're not contributing in a way that's recognizable yeah 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 i love that that's so true 
Well, I feel like I just been to therapy for like I mean, like this feels like a month worth of therapy. Like a good therapy. Yeah. <laughs> good therapy. This was amazing. I just yeah. I can't thank you enough for your, your for having me. For sharing Again, and your wisdom. Y'all. Same. Yeah, this is this is beautiful, these conversations. I think it's so important. And yeah, just like I, I love when I come across people who I hear quit. I hear walked away because I know first and foremost, it took guts, right? When you're doing it the right way, you know, you can't deceive yourself. It's like, I can justify a million reasons why to quit and then just continue life and just recreating this life. It's, it's about the, everything internally, everything that you're looking for, you're going to be discovering in yourself as cliche as it sounds is fucking real. Yeah. Yeah. Y'all are amazing. So are you. So are you. Thank you, Caleb. Thank you.